Welcome to the Operate Intelligently podcast, the podcast for all things operations. I want to welcome to the podcast Jeff Tippett, who's going to come in and talk a little bit about persuasive communications, which is a topic I'm actually familiar with, being a uh, communication professional myself, and actually had a chance to uh, take persuasion in college. It was one of the more interesting classes. But Jeff, uh, could you introduce yourself a little bit, tell us who you are, and, and a little bit about what you're doing today? Absolutely, Brian. Thanks, first of all, for letting me come hang out and talk with mm-hmm. you today and chat a little bit about persuasive communication. So I speak about half of my time on uh, stages around the globe on persuasive communications, and then about half the time I still work with my firm doing client strategy and client interaction work. Mm-hmm. And you're based here in Raleigh? Downtown Raleigh office, yeah. um, and I'm here you know, when I'm in town. I'm in downtown office and then, of course, traveling around speaking. So I do want to mention uh, Jeff and I have known each other for a bit of time. Uh, first through kind of like social media, uh, yeah. the early days of Twitter. Um, and I tell a lot of people it was kind of cool back then because you could kind of find your tribe. There wasn't a lot of us on there. And I think you and myself and several others who we were all really interested in this new technology kind of were able to kind of meet and uh, you know establish a relationship in real life, which was really neat. Um, that was back for me, October of 07, yeah. when I jumped on Twitter. Can you believe like that long ago? I know. It's, it's amazing that it's over Even, And 20 we're only 29 years. years old, and we've known each other for this long. Yes. It's amazing. <laughs> the other, you know, we could do another whole bit about uh, how the phones of that time, I mean, the, you know, those early Blackberries, we were like <laughs> taking video and amazed that we could do that. Um, but getting back to what we want to talk about today, and that's being persuasive communication. So how did that kind of become a passion for you? So I think my first real understanding of persuasive communications came when I was going through an international adoption of a baby from Haiti. And it wasn't that I had this lifelong dream of adopting a baby. It was a situation where my dad went over to do humanitarian relief. And while he was there, his translator was a ninth grader um, who was in an English-speaking Christian American school. And she happened to get pregnant. And the school gave her a very hard choice. They said, you either have to give up your baby or drop out of school. Well, Brian, I can't even imagine like the emotion that goes through a mother's head to make that decision. But that was the decision that she had to make. And she decided that for herself, it was best if she gave up her baby so that she could finish and get her high school diploma. In Haiti, that's extremely important. And she felt like by giving up her baby that the baby then could have a better opportunity as well. So my dad came back, told me the story. And Brian, I don't know what it was, but I looked at the picture of this naked baby in her mom's arms. And I just knew that I was to fulfill this. I was to be the one to adopt the baby. Mm-hmm. I had no idea what was going on in Haiti. Mm-hmm. Haiti was collapsing at that point. President Aristide was being run out of out of office. There was all kind of political turmoil. So I'm just like signing up. I'm in. I'm going to go over <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> with no sure, idea. Sure, it's easy, right? It's just easy. You know, yeah. it's just like going down to Garner or something, right? Yeah. You know, no big deal. Um, but you know, it decays. I go over three or four visits. Like I, for the first time in my life, I have machetes held at my neck. I mean, mm-hmm. imagine what you do with a gun pointed at your yeah, head. Or, yeah, it's terrifying. It is terrifying. Yeah. I, I had to jump in the back of pickups at times to flee yeah. the city to get out because students were, were riding. Mm-hmm. And I reached this, this one point, this aha moment for me came when my attorney, my Haitian attorney, emailed me and said, Jeff, the government officials you need to sign this next piece of your adoption uh, isn't showing up to work. They're not coming in. Mm-hmm. At best... You can consider your adoption on hold, Mm -hmm. but at worst, you need to face the fact that your adoption might be over. 
Well, I was deflated. In fact, like I was just devastated. I got up the next morning to figure out what I was going to do. And this was my plan, Brian. I decided, being a little bit more assertive personality, mm-hmm. I was just going to fly back to Haiti. I was going to go stay with my attorney, who had a house and office combined. And every day with my translator, I was going to walk to this office just hoping someone would show up. Mm-hmm. So I did it. Every morning, I'd get up. I was optimistic. End of the day, I'd go home deflated once again. Went on for two weeks, Brian. Wow. Until finally someone showed up in the office. And you can imagine, like, where I am at this point. Like, I didn't have many English-speaking people around me. Mm-hmm. So, like, there were all these words in my head. <laughs> I had all these emotions. Like, I was afraid. I was scared. I had already fallen in love with this baby. I had yeah. taken her clothes. I'd seen her three or four times, you know, spending time with her weeks at a time. Um, and so he comes in, and I just explode. Mm-hmm. On him, I, I am going off. I am like, I need you to complete this adoption. Yeah. I need you to sign this this piece of paper here. This is my adoption. This is my baby. I need you to do this yeah. now. And he looked at me through the translator then and just said, no. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. I've got to do something mm-hmm. to pull this back together right now. So I, I pulled in the, the, the little bit of knowledge that I had of Haitian culture. And this is what I knew about Haitians, that they love their children. Mm-hmm. They value the family. And these little babies are like jewels to them. So I turned my messaging around, and I made it to to what was centric to him, what was important to him. And I started talking about this baby, this Haitian baby, Mm -hmm. who was in a creche now, a halfway house, who didn't have a home. This Haitian baby who didn't have any promise of an education, financial backing, love, any type of a future. And I said, here she is, and I'm willing to to be that conduit to make that happen if you would sign that. Mm -hmm. And within 10 minutes, we were signed and we were out the door. Walking back to the to my attorney's house, I began to like question, like, what happened? Like, how did I go from no mm-hmm. to yes? And this is what I realized: that most times I was very much bent toward manipulation, mm-hmm. where I was forcing people to, to do things versus persuasion. And that was like my aha moment of the difference between manipulation and persuasion. And later, you know, I, of course, perfected the definitions of those to contrast those. But that was that first understanding of why manipulation doesn't work for a long-term strategy and often doesn't work and why persuasion can work. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, because, you know, manipulation's similar to, like, the hardest form of persuasion, like coercion, where we are, um, you know, sticking gun or threatening people or, or doing things that are forcing them beyond their will. Um, and I think that's one of the interesting thing about persuasion is, you know, there, there are these many layers of it from, from the softest to the hardest. Yeah. Uh, and it, and it is, it does require you to look at your message and look at your audience and say, you know, which one is best going to fit this model. But uh, that's a, that's an amazing story. And, uh, I tell you what, I don't know if I could go through two weeks of going down there. I would have probably lost my temper and my, <laughs> lost my cool and said, you know, pack it up. We're going home. Um, so, so when you go out and talk to people, like how do you encourage them to use persuasive communication when they're not people that are, say, presenters or speakers? They're, you know, they have a fear of getting up and maybe a fear of being direct in how they communicate. So, Brian, here's what here's in my new book, the big statement, my big argument here, my big, bold, audacious statement is this, that we all live or die based upon our ability to persuade. So to me, that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're the CEO of a company trying to move a company forward. If you are in sales, if you're a sales manager, if you're in middle management, you have people on top of you, below you. If you're an entrepreneur, if you're in IT support, it doesn't matter. Or if you just don't want to live alone for the rest of your life, right? <laughs> we all live or die mm-hmm. based upon our ability to persuade. So I don't think this is at all limited to business transactions. Yeah. I think this applies to like how we relate to our spouse, how we relate to neighbors, mm-hmm. how we relate to our children 
children, how we relate to people that are important in our lives. It's not just this little narrow area of business. It's all areas mm-hmm. of our life. Mm-hmm. And I believe it so, so much. That's why I hang tight on that one. We live or die. Based mm-hmm. upon our ability to persuade others, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and even you know, it's even online. You know, we see a huge amount of persuasive communication, um, getting into whether the information is even accurate, but coming across with a very strong persuasive message to begin with. Um, and and of course, now people are starting to become much more sophisticated in how they're filtering that um, or blocking it out altogether. Yeah, and I think it's very easy, like to to go down the manipulation road mm-hmm. versus the persuasion mode. Um, and But the thing about manipulation, especially if you're in sales, it, it might work once or twice with a person, yeah. but none of us like to be manipulated. No. We've probably all gone and joined gyms and felt manipulated to hire a trainer. You know, at the same time, mm-hmm. we, we know we know what that feels like. And, and But when we end up persuading people and people are, are then you know, buying in for their own benefit, they're happy with us. They love, they love us. Like, you know, for me, I look for two magic words. When I'm in a conversation with a client or with a meeting planner, I look for two magical words to understand if I persuaded or if I manipulated. And those two words are, that's right. Mm-hmm. So here's how that plays out. We get ready to sign a contract with a client and they look at me and say, Jeff, your company can provide the solution that we need. Jeff, that is what we're after. Jeff, we see a better future because of what you're bringing to the table. And they say, that's right, Jeff, this is what we need. Or a meeting planner that says, Jeff, you do have a solution for our audience. Mm-hmm. You can bring to the table what we need. What I know at that moment is, they're not, I'm not twisting their arm. They're doing it out of their own self-interest. Mm-hmm. They know it's best for them. And as the person who's persuading, it's my responsibility over a period of time to provide that sustained effort of sound reasoning Mm -hmm. to help them understand and figure out what's in it for them. Mm -hmm. What's the best solution for them? And at that point, like we're not pushy. We're not, they want it. Like they're begging, they, they can't wait to write us a check mm-hmm. because they see it for themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like you're bringing them to that point of view through, bingo, you know, uh, building trust and credibility and those type of things versus, you know, well, if you get this, you know, like uh, here's a huge deal if you sign right now and we don't have time to go through the, the due diligence that maybe you, you want to do and, and feel good about the decision. So, absolutely. In fact, you know, you mentioned the word trust. When I, finished the book and my editor and my publisher read the whole thing, they came back to me and they said, Jeff, you've, you've kind of alluded to trust throughout the entire book here, but you haven't really like hit trust head on. And they asked me the question, how important is, to, is trust to you? And Brian, to me, trust is it. I mean, that's the foundation. Mm-hmm. Without trust, take every single chapter of my book and go put it through a shredder yeah. because it's of no value whatsoever. And which is why I took a whole chapter giving people 10 ways that they can build trust with their audience. Oh, it's that's primary. Great. It's the foundation and without it persuasion will never happen yeah I, I agree i agree are you looking for a way to get inspired about your work as a facility or operations professional join us at our annual maintenance and operations conference dude university in raleigh north carolina may 5th through 8th 2019 you'll be able to attend educational sessions about your day-to-day work meet professionals from across the country that work in your and other industries and enjoy food, friends, and fun in the dude's hometown. Learn more and register online at university2019.com. So how can people kind of craft their message to be more, you know, effective with persuasion and, and kind of create effective calls to action when they're doing it? Yeah, a few things here on, on, on calls to action. We took a whole chapter just to kind of talk through calls to action and uh, a few things here that I think could possibly help. Uh, first of all is to make your ask clear. I mean, how many times have we gotten off a phone call or I got an email or come out of a meeting and walked out and like, I don't, I don't know exactly what I'm supposed to do. Like, 
What is it that they're warning out of me? I'm, I'm not really sure. Uh, I put a whole chapter on just crafting a simple message. Like, how do we make a call to action so crystal clear that there's no question whatsoever what it is that we're asking for people? Um, I do encourage people to make sure there's a strong action verb in there as well. Like, mm-hmm. the verb has to be like powerful. None yeah. of these passive verbs whatsoever. Uh, things like making it personal. I encourage people in, like, in this call to action to use the word you or your like really early. Can you put it in the second or third word of your, of your call to action? Here's why. At that point, they're connected. They understand this isn't just generic for everyone, that this is something that's specific for me and is important to me. So using that, of course, communicating value, like when people are giving up money or email addresses, what is the value that they're getting from you? And make sure that you clearly communicate that. I encourage people to be clever. Now, I'm not saying... Uh, you know, move away from your brand standards, or do something that's you know that, that, you, that you're not proud of. But do things in a unique way, something that's just a little bit different that can capture their attention. There, the sixth one that I advocate is emotion. I think emotion is extremely important in the in the process of persuasion. Um, I took a whole chapter to talk about making this emotional connection with other people. So how do we bring emotion into the, mm-hmm. into the decision? You know, Zig Ziglar tells us people that buy people buy for emotion, not for mm-hmm. logic. So how do we connect with people at that emotional level? The sense of urgency, of course, without, you know, without being manipulative, but some type of urgency there. I also encourage people to use a singular call to action. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we put three or four things out there that we yeah. want them to do, and they're like, I don't know. And we have this par- paralysis, right? Like, yeah. I don't know what to do. Which one do you want me to do? Which one do you want me to do? Tell me. Yeah. Right. Tell yeah. me. So, so here's what I like to encourage people to do when it comes to this call to action. You may have three to four things you need out of people, mm-hmm. but do them in a linear path. Mm-hmm. What's the first one that you need? Exactly. Get them to say yeah. yes to this and then take them down the path of, of everything um, that you need from them. And reduce risk. I mean, one of the things that's going through psychologically, people are making this decision, they're going through the risk analysis. I, I, what, what's, what's, what's the risk here? So what can you do to reduce the risk? Is it money back? Is it three days? Like, what does that look like? How can you reduce risk um, for them? Um, scarcity, also the power of a crowd, like this whole social proof um, mm-hmm. as well. How do you bring in the power of a crowd? And the last one that I offer is making sure that we make it easy. Sometimes we make all of this so complicated, and especially for something online, we're not going to do it. It's got to be easy. It's got to be very fast for us, or we're going to abandon it and we're going to be gone. Mm. I, you know, I couldn't agree more. And it's, you know, it's, it's some of the same practices I do when we build you know, our marketing campaigns. Absolutely. And we're looking at, you know, I think people have a good idea for a campaign, but they're not really breaking it down. Like, what do I want them to do? What's the first step? And, That's right. And sometimes they jump to the third step. And you get, or you try to build out the communication and the whole campaign, and it's confusing. And and I, you know, that's where I'll raise my hand and say, okay, I think you're not going to get the results you want because you're confusing people. You're not clear. Um, you, you know, you've got multiple calls to action here. So let's trim it down and and build that linear path because theoretically. You want to have more than one interaction with this with this person. That's exactly um, right. But we don't want to create barriers up front because there's so many that they're confused. Yeah. And they're paralyzed. Like, I don't know what to do. So yes. I, we don't know what to do. What do we do? We do nothing. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I agree. Because then that's the exact result you get is, 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 is a big goose egg. Um, you know, why am I not getting people to sign up for my newsletter or whatever I'm trying to accomplish? It's because you made it too difficult for your audience. So... Um, so yeah, those are some great calls to action and, and uh, advice. 
So do you have any other like recommended resources for people that want to get started to be you know more persuasive in, in their communication? Absolutely, buy my book. It'll be out of You know, a big part of this is testing, like just seeing how people respond and all this. One of the things that I'm very clear in the book is that this isn't just like a silver bullet. Like this isn't just a one thing. Like there's just not this one singular approach. If so, we'd, there'd be one book. We'd all read the one book, and then we would all know how to persuade. It's not that way. We're not dealing with robots or computers. We're dealing with, with human beings, um, and which is, I took a whole chapter to talk about helping other people find their win. I think like, that is like one of the major mind shifts that we can make that will turn persuasion around for mm-hmm. us. When we take it away from what we're trying to sell or what we're trying to make another person do, and we focus on what it is for them. Like, where is the win for them? Mm-hmm. When I step on this stage, what's happening in, in, in my head is not, I am not thinking about the check that I just got to be there or how beautiful the resort is, nothing like that. When I step on that stage, what I'm thinking about is those eyeballs that I see, and I'm wondering, what can I do to improve their life? How can I give them tips that when they leave, they have three things that can change their personal life, that can change their business life. And when we put that, our emphasis, and we put our thrust on the other person, by byproduct, we then we get everything in life mm-hmm. that we want. So, Jeff, you'd mentioned your book. Can you tell us um, the title and when it's coming out and where people could get it? Absolutely. So the, the book is titled Unleashing Your Superpower, Why Persuasive Communication is the Only Force That You'll Ever Need. And in the book, I walk through manipulation versus persuasion. I walk through crafting a message. Yeah, everything about the messaging, making it sticky, making it resonate. Talk about all that. I talk about your audience. I talk about positioning and call to action. And then I also talk about trust that we talked about a little bit earlier. I talk about the greater good in the book. And so I walk through everything that a person needs to go from hello to yes uh, in the book. The whole path is walked out there. It's available on Amazon. Uh, there's a link available in the show notes. And I was looking at your um, video your promo reel on your website, and and in it, you're showing your inner superhero. I think it's Superman, right? Yeah. You know, as a kid, I was obsessed by superheroes. It was like, you know, who do I want to be? Like, And I could never settle. Here's the thing. Like, like if, if you're Superman, you're like, all right, then, then that's great. Um, but then I would think about, like, Wonder Twins. Like, okay, but what if I had a friend, right? And we could do Wonder Twin powers activate, yeah. and there'd be two of us that's with right. superpowers. Isn't that even better? So it, it was only until adulthood that I settled on the superpower persuasive communication. But superheroes as a kid, man, I always wondered, who would I be? Well, it was, yeah, it was like Superman versus Batman back in the day. And I, and I think Superman usually won out a lot of times if you wanted to fly. But if you're more of a gadget and car guy, it was Batman. You so get it. I was a Batman you guy. You get it. <laughs> uh, but I have to admit, always envious of the people that were more Superman fans. Because, like, yeah, he can fly. The whole flying cool. thing. Yeah, I mean, the flying thing. And X-ray vision. I X-ray? Mean, cool. Yeah, yeah we're, we're in the same dilemma there. But yeah. Batman, at the same time, I mean, you know, he's just, He's Batman. He's Batman. <laughs> I can't go against my, my main man. Um, so we are going to give our readers an opportunity to um, get a copy of Jeff's book. So we want to invite our listeners to participate, and how we're going to do that is we want you to send an email with your favorite superhero, and send that to dspodcast at dudesolutions.com, and we are going to pick a random winner and give them a copy of Jeff's book. I'm excited about that. Yeah, I want to kind of I don't know who their favorite superheroes are too. So share that with me as well, and we'll definitely get them a book. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Jeff, I want to thank you for coming in today and talking a little bit about persuasive communications and how people can use that to kind of benefit, um, you know, how they manage relationships. Thanks, Brian. I appreciate the opportunity to share and talk with you and your audience. And we will have uh, links out to some of the information that Jeff mentioned, as well as uh, uh, his book, in the show notes. I want to thank everyone for listening to today's episode. 
Thank you for listening to the Operate Intelligently podcast produced by Dude Solutions. You can reach us by emailing dspodcast at dudesolutions.com or check us out on the web at dudesolutions.com.